Our reading for today is uh, actually the gospel appointed for Epiphany Day from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and had come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for as it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until they came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in the dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Lord, now let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How many of you have ever been to a children's Christmas Eve program? Everybody's been. I don't even know how many I've been to over the years. But one of the things I've learned about children's Christmas Eve programs and about Christmas celebrations in general is this. The original one was not as nearly as beautiful or serene as it appears in all of those programs. And it certainly wasn't as clean or neat or nice. The whole story of Jesus' birth is kind of set against a backdrop of official indifference and outright hostility. In fact, most children's Christmas programs, about the only person in that story that gets a bad rap is some little kid who gets to slam the door in Joseph's face and say, there's no room in the inn. You think about it, the scribes didn't know, they didn't really care. Herod knew, and he tried to kill the baby, and to make matters worse, he out and out lied to the Magi in Matthew when he sent them to Bethlehem to find the baby. Tell me where the baby is, he said, so that I might go and worship him too. That was a bald-faced lie. Now, as far as we can tell, the Magi evidently believed him, and why not? After all, the king actually feigned some interest in the baby, so why shouldn't they just take him at his word? They'd come so far to find this little baby, so it was natural for them to assume that everybody else was just as excited as they were. But, you know, it really wasn't that way then. And let's be honest, Christmas is not all that exciting to many people today anymore. Christmas was a threat to Herod, and Christmas threatens many people today. Let me just give you a few examples. In Seattle this last year, a city official sent out a memo telling employees not to say Merry Christmas 
and to become religion neutral, whatever that means. In Maryland, a school employee was prohibited from handing out personal Christmas cards on the public school campus. Red poinsettias were banned from the courthouse in Minnesota because they offended one person who said he believes that the flowers are symbols of Christianity. A Pennsylvania fourth grader was stopped from giving out Christmas cards to his classmates on the school bus. Two Wisconsin middle schoolers got in trouble for wearing red and green scarves in a Christmas skit and ending their little skit by saying, Merry Christmas. They were suspended. In the words of uh, Bill O'Reilly, tis the season to be dopey. In fact, in the recent monologue, Bill O'Reilly said, of course, all these things are completely insane, but they are definitely symptomatic of what America is facing, a well-organized campaign to destroy tradition and replace it with the bland philosophy that nothing is any good unless it includes every holiday. Let's walk through this. Christmas is a federal holiday. That means that the word Christmas is legal in every way and can be used as a greeting or a description or whatever you want. Christmas exists because of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, a man who changed the course of Western civilization, a man whose philosophy became the cornerstone of democratic thinking. All men were created equal in the eyes of Jesus and in the eyes of America's founding fathers. Now, around Christmas, on Facebook, other places, you'll see a bunch of Christmas cartoons. I wish I had kept a few of them. I'd put them on the screen for you. But one of them was a a two-panel cartoon that showed two police officers sitting in a squad car. One of them is reading from a sheet about how to spot suspicious-looking people. And he says, male, bearded, Middle Eastern-looking, suspicious behavior. Yep, I believe they fit that profile. And the next panel shows them pulled up alongside the wise men sitting on camels. And one of the officers in the police car said, Okay, buddy, let's see some ID. There was another one. It was just that traditional manger scene you're all familiar with. And they had Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus surrounded by angels. And all of them had that little halo drawn around them. And there was a star above. And the caption said, the original Lord of the Rings. And then there was one more that really kind of captured my idea. It was depicting a news reporter outside Bethlehem. And in the distance, there was actually smoke rising from the village, almost but not quite blurring out the star. The reporter was holding a microphone, and he said, A man, a baby, and a carpenter were pinned down near a manger as Jewish and Palestinian Palestinian militants clash. Now, those cartoons, when I saw them, don't necessarily offend me. Uh, Rather, they just remind me once again that Christmas is a real story. It's a real story about real people, Uh, that Mary was pregnant with Jesus, just as the Bible says. Uh, When they came to Bethlehem, there really was no room for them uh, in the house. Uh, It reminds me that Herod was so sick with paranoid delusions that he slaughtered the infant boys of Bethlehem in a desperate attempt to kill Jesus. It all happened just as the Bible said it happened. Christian writer Francis Schaeffer Um, warned the danger of taking the Bible and relegating it to what he called upper story truth. And by upper story truth, he said, elevating the Bible to make it kind of the same about like Aesop's fables 
or the stories of Dr. Seuss, or even including Christmas as being somewhat equal to Santa Claus, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and Frosty the Snowman. But you know, I think about that. When we treat the Christmas story as something other than uh, sober historical truth, what we do is we literally drain it of its true meaning, and we kind of turn it into kind of a, a nice, sweet little fairy tale that teaches us to be good and to love each other because that's what Jesus would want us to do. Now, I'm all for being good and loving each other and even loving our enemies, but that doesn't begin to exhaust the true meaning of the birth of Jesus. I want you to hear a few great biblical statements. I'm not going to read all these. I just hunted up a whole bunch of them this last week. This one, for example, Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Or how about Colossians 2, 9? For in him is the whole fullness of deity, deity dwelling bodily. Or 2 Corinthians 5.19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Or Isaiah 9.6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I've got page upon page that I just pulled out. I could read more and more of these. I'll just end up with this one from John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, all of those passages throughout the Old and the New Testament that talk about Jesus and the birth of Jesus are all historical facts. And from those passages and many more like it, I'm just going to draw four conclusions. Here's the very first one. The birth of Jesus Christ is more than the birth of an ordinary baby. I mean, think about that for a moment. It represents the literal entrance of the Almighty God into the human race. In John chapter 1, uh, in verse 14, it says, It was the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What that means is, is that the Son of God, who from all eternity was and is and always will be the second person of the Trinity, humbled himself laying aside the outward manifestation of his deity, and entered the world through the womb of a virgin named Mary. This was nothing ordinary, folks. The birth of Jesus is a whole lot more than the birth of the babies that we have day in and day out throughout the world. The second thing is, is that Jesus is much more than a moral teacher or the founder of some great world religion. Now, he's much more even than the founder of Western civilization. He is the true son of God. He is the Messiah of Israel. Uh, he's the promised seed of the woman that was talked about in Genesis chapter 3. He's the one predicted by the prophets, whether they be in Micah or wherever it be. He is the savior of the world. And this is not politically correct, but I'm going to say it anyway. Apart from him, no one can be saved. Apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. Here's the third thing I draw from many of these verses. We should not be surprised that the world either ignores or attacks Christmas. The world has never really been a friend of the Son of God. Now, I think sometimes we as Christians think, well, everybody loves Jesus. Not so. 
The people of the world, for the most part, have always been way too busy to think about Jesus. In fact, the people of Jesus' day, when he was born nearly 2,000 years ago, were way too busy with their own pursuits to pay any attention to some little baby uh, born in a little jerk water town uh, in the village of Bethlehem in Judea. It just didn't matter. And some people, like Herod, found his birth to be a personal threat and, and did everything he possibly could to kill him. Jesus was literally born in the shadow of the cross. I don't know if you remember this story, also in the Christmas meeting, when Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple to be circumcised, that one of the people took him, and that was an old man by the name of Simeon. And Simeon held him in his arms, and he offered a word of prophecy. You can read it in Luke chapter 2. He said, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Now, you've got to go back and read that sometime and study that verse, Luke 2, 34. I mean, what, what, Jesus, what Simeon said was that Jesus is going to be a sign that will be spoken against. See, even though he is God's sign of salvation, many people are going to speak against him. Some are going to call him Savior. But others are going to fall because of him. You may also remember Jesus kind of referred to this in Matthew 10 when he said, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. Now, how strange to hear those words at Christmas time. I mean, not peace, but a sword. See, most of our Christmas stuff is all about peace, peace, peace. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, away in the manger, all this kind of peaceful, you know, cutesy baby stuff. But in the midst of that, we hear that Jesus comes to die on the cross. He came not to bring peace to this world, but a sword. Now, should that surprise us? I don't think so, because the Bible also says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. I mean, that's the amazing thing about the word of God. It can cut and heal at the same time. Jesus cuts both ways. He reveals the thoughts and the intents of every single heart. When you see Jesus, you have to choose. You cannot be neutral forever. You are either for Jesus or you are against Jesus. You cannot be neutral. You want to read more about that? Read the book of Revelation where Jesus says to the one church in Laodicea, I wish you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I vomit you out of my mouth. Are you for him or are you against him? you got a choice to make. There's a fourth thing. His birth was attended by miracles so that we would know for certain that he actually came from God. Now, I've read many different places that said, and it's even a song that says, Jesus was born the usual way. I always kind of laugh when I hear that, that Jesus was born in the usual way. I guess that's true if you consider being born of a virgin the usual way. I mean, how many of you were born of a virgin? Well, they're not here this morning, okay? And if your idea of a normal birth also includes being announced by angels, how many of you had your birth announced by angels? Nobody. Or having strangers from a distant land travel all the way to Mineral Wells, Texas, to your house to see you? Nobody? Well, if all that happened, then that truly that's the usual way. I mean, not to even talk about angels appearing in visions and dreams and babies leaping in the womb and stuff like that. 
It was not done the usual way, folks. As I read Matthew chapter 2, it seems to me that there is a very delicate interplay between the human and the divine. Herod's hatred is very human, and on one level at least entirely understandable. I mean, Herod was a horrible man. He's a sick, deranged, paranoid old man, a kind of an evil toad squatting on the throne. In fact, he killed people, so his family members, so that the day he died, so that people would actually mourn for him as well. They said it's better to be Herod's pig than it is to be part of his family. I mean, this is a guy who hated everyone and everything, and so it's not at all surprising that he would also hate Jesus. And it's not surprising that he actually lied to the wise men about his intentions. I mean, you do not get to be king without being good at that kind of stuff. Well, but what about the church people? Well, what about those scribes? What about those Bible scholars? They seem to be too busy to be involved. This has always kind of puzzled me. They actually knew the answer to the question. Where is this Messiah to be born? Oh, that's easy. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. But they were so religious, they didn't have time for Jesus. Guess what? We still have people like that today. They're way too busy for Jesus. See, the Magi represent a, the pagan people of this world who come from distant lands to bring their tributes to the infant king. And while his own people reject him, you've got the Gentiles bowing before him with costly gifts. That's kind of interesting. You think about it. Who are the first people there? The shepherds who are on the bottom rung of the socioeconomic ladder. They were not allowed to vote. They were not allowed to testify. They were the scum of the earth. And next we've got who? Here come the wise men. But you know what's kind of interesting? Jesus has many hidden people like the Magi. Their history on this earth, we know very little, if any, about the wise men. They are about as little known as Melchizedek. You all know who he is, right? Or Jethro or Job. But their names are in the book of life, and they will be found with Jesus as his appearing. It is well to remember this. The Holy Spirit can lead people to Jesus without the help of outward means. We need to remember that, because sometimes we think we have to be responsible but the Holy Spirit can do whatever the Holy Spirit darn well feels like doing. I can't put it any plainer than that. People may be born in the darkest, densest places on this earth, like these wise men, and yet, like them, be made wise unto salvation. I mean, there are some people today who are traveling to heaven at this moment of whom the church and the world know absolutely nothing about. They flourish in secret places. But Jesus loves them, and they love him. Now, when they finally get around there, the Magi present him with three interesting gifts, three costly gifts. Now, the early church fathers, when they wrote about this, said that gold represented the wealth and the power of a king. And who is Jesus? How about the king of kings? Frankincense was used in the temple worship of the Lord. It represents the deity or the glory of the Lord, for Jesus truly is God, born in the human flesh and worthy of worship. Myrrh is a kind of a perfume that's made from the leaves of the cystus rose. It was used in beauty treatments, but yet when it was mixed with vinegar, it also became an anesthetic. 
After a person died, myrrh uh, was used to anoint the body and get it ready for burial. And if you read John 19:39, the, the, the burial of Jesus, it says that Jesus' body was wrapped in linen wrappings along with 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. And so that gift of myrrh pictures his suffering and death. Now the question is, did the wise men know what they were doing when they brought those gifts? I seriously doubt it. I don't think so at all. But God arranged it so that those gifts to the holy child would point us to who he is and why he came. He was a king. He was the Lord. He is the one who came to die for your sins. Now, there's another question I always think about in the story of the wise men. When the, when the Magi finally found the baby Jesus, were they disappointed? Let's say they rode up on camels and they got that, like, this is where it is? Did they walk in and go, well, that's only a baby? I mean, were they disappointed? Now, I don't know. They might have been. They might have been. After all, everything that they'd been through, after such a long journey, after this detour in Jerusalem, did they, what they find seemed to be kind of anticlimactic. Now, it might have seemed that way. After all, just, just think of what they saw. This little baby didn't look like a king. He was wrapped not in purple or gold or anything like that. He was wrapped in strips of cloth, swaddling clothes. His home didn't look like a castle. Now, he wasn't born in a barn or a cave. He was probably living in somebody else's house, took him in, but... There he was in this nondescript home. He didn't have a scepter in his hand. Uh, he didn't have a crown on his head laying there in the manger. Uh, he commanded no armies. They weren't outside. He gave no speeches. He passed no laws. Uh, he could not even walk or talk. And no royal decree or executive order ever came out of his mouth. There was absolutely nothing to make you think that this little baby was a king. To the outward eye, he was nothing but a peasant child born to maybe a 14-year-old girl in dire poverty. But guess what? To the Magi, he was a king. In that cradle, Jesus possessed more royalty than Herod did in his palace. He was greater in his infancy than Louis XIV in his ascendancy. He was more powerful as a child than Napoleon ever was as emperor. But it didn't seem that way. Somehow, the Magi were able to look beyond the present and into the future. And in deep faith, the Bible says they worshipped him. They saw that this child one day would rule the world. And they were not ashamed to fall on their faces in front of him. As I went back through and read this text over and over again and going to study it, there was a thought that crossed my mind. I I really never thought about this before. Uh, But it was this, although we read that when the Magi met Herod, we do not read that they worshipped him. But when they find a tiny baby rocking in his mother's arms, these probably great men fell on their faces in front of him and worshipped him. To this baby, they gave the honor to a king. See, what Herod craved, the baby received. One last thing about the epiphany and the wise men. How about that star? Star. We kind of put stars on the top of our Christmas trees. It's kind of the symbol of the epiphany, the symbol of the wise men. I mean, there's something about that heavenly light that seems so appropriate. Now, I mentioned before all those cartoons all had the star in them. Somewhere in the picture. Now, what was the star? 
But it kind of helps us to remember that these magi were probably students of the sky. Most people say that they were like astrologers. That means that they would not be frightened or put off by anything unusual that suddenly appeared up in the sky. Now, in those days, also, you need to know that it was not uncommon to associate the birth of a great ruler with some sort of a heavenly phenomena. The star would have made perfect sense to them and would, in fact, perfectly fit with what they already believed. You might say that if God wanted to get a message to these pagan priests, he sure picked the right way to do it. But what was this star? Well, frankly, we don't know. The Greek word, if you look this up, it's kind of interesting. The particular Greek word for star is a very general one that could mean anything, any bright object up in the sky. It could be a star, could be a planet, could be a meteor, could be a comet. It might even refer to you know, some unusual conjunction of the planets that kind of align and produce a little bit brighter object in the sky. Or it might actually be a star. A special heavenly light created by God to guide the Magi to the manger. Now, evidently, this star appeared in the east to alert the Magi to begin their journey. Somehow, they knew that it was his star, and they were absolutely overjoyed to see it. It led to that very home. Perhaps at this time, Jesus was two, three, four years old. They were living in a house taking care of this little baby. It doesn't sound like a comet or a meteor to me. It sounds more like a special light that God created to direct the Magi to Jesus. This past week, I received an email update from a, a couple of friends of mine who are missionaries in Kenya. They normally live in Rockwall, Texas, and they were talking about how they have become stargazers. And they're stargazers because the electricity often goes out in the evening. Uh, leaving them plenty of time and lots of darkness to contemplate the stars as they fill the African sky. Reminds me of when I was on Vicarage. Nancy and I would often get in our car and we'd drive out along the Columbia River out, way out to where we were out in the middle of nowhere, out in the desert of east, eastern Washington. And we'd get out there and there's no ground clutter at all. And you could see practically every star in the sky. You know, at this season of the year, we're also aware of legendary stargazers who were also amazed. Their focus was not on a whole sky full of stars, but a star that was hidden somehow amongst all of the other ones, but so different, a star that would lead them to the light of the world. Now, whatever that star was, the Magi found themselves faced with a decision. Are we going to pursue that star? And at what cost? And how long are we going to do it? Were they going to move out of their comfort zone and in order to search for something so small and yet so priceless? I think during the holiday season, Christmas season, uh, we're struck by the awareness that all of us really face the same decision. Will we pursue Jesus? Will we run hard after Jesus? Will we recognize the amazing signs God places all around us that point to the reality of the God-man, Jesus the Christ? Will we journey, go to any distance in order to get to know him? Do you know who Jesus is? He's the light of the world. He's the king in the cradle. He's Emmanuel, God with us.
He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is Jesus, Savior, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and on and on and on. What a strange world we live in. How different things seem now. And if we're honest, how uncertain sometimes how we feel. But some things do not change, and some things will never, ever change. Wise men and wise women, I guess we have to be politically correct, I'm not going to say wise personages, but wise men and wise women still follow him. They still seek him. And guess what? Those who seek him will always find him. That will never, ever change. And on that happy thought, I wish you all a happy Epiphany.